Welcome, everybody, to My SoCast Life, the show in which we read our real-life diaries while rewatching that diary of our souls, My So-Called Life. My name is Katerina, and with me is my co-host. I'm Matt Brown. And today, we're going to be discussing uh, self-esteem, which is, well, first of all, it aired on the 17th of November, 1994. And secondly, it is the first part of, for me, the weirdest thing that happened in my so-called life, which is the Angela and Jordan actually get together duology. Yeah. You know, I, I, th- I think I've spoken on the show before about the fact that from the beginning of when the show starts and she's got this crush on Jordan, what I liked about it was how fundamentally unattainable it was. Like that he was just this fantasy creature that she would never even be in a room with. It was just an idea. Totally. You know, and then over we- the course of the show, they actually somehow, somehow get there. And I don't even know if I understand how or why. I think last week when we were talking about uh, the the dance and Jordan's pressing her up against the chain link fence moment, even there I was like, "What the fuck is happening right now?" Like, and they'd been on, or they were theoretically going to go on a date, like several episodes back in uh, in the one where he's got the song about his car. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, the episode in which. <laughs> <laughs> Angela briefly thinks she's as important to him as, as his, his car. As his car. It's just <laughs> devastating to think about. Um, but yeah, then this episode starts and, you know, you see Angela kind of just wandering through the halls and, and you know, she's, she's doing this kind of weird monologue about how there's kind of different cadres and lines in the, in the social universe of a school. And, and they cut to this shot of the black kids all together. And I'm like, is that what she's talking about? Like the (laughs) fact that the black kids all stay together and then, but no, she goes into the basement and she's meeting Jordan to make out. Did your school have a place where kids went to make out? I would never know that. (laughs) And I think the reasoning would be obvious, which is that I never got to make out. Well, I mean, I did, but very towards the end. And I don't know that we did a lot of making out in the actual school. Yeah. And I'm not aware of there having been a place in my school where kids went to make out. Yeah. Uh, My school didn't have a basement exactly. So... Well, mine did, but I don't think anyone would have wanted to go down there to make out because also it wasn't like it was a very pri- like I mean there were classrooms down there, so it wasn't right. a very private base basement. It was it was part of the school. My school had like um, the because it was a really old school building. They used to have separate girls and boys gyms, which mm-hmm. were like half the size of a regular gym. Uh, which once they built a new gym, they converted those two into a dance studio and a drama studio, right. an arts program. So uh, there were two like sunken dance and drama studios that were like down some stairs from the main floor. But that was, and then there was like a back area behind them where they where they kept like costumes and stuff. Right. Um, but that was as close to a basement as we. Had. Yeah, we like, we had the same thing, which we had we had the place behind the stage where the stage crew did whatever the fuck a stage crew does and they basically hung out and they were all goths <laughs> and they they had shirts that said s crew on yeah, it stage crew was and, goths yeah because ours was just like electronics nerds like like audio nerds no like no guys who probably now do podcasts yeah no ours were the actual punks and um and yeah the rumors about them were that ba- like there was one I, maybe two female stage crew members and like four or five guys and of course the rumors were that they were having sex back there all the time <laughs> like the, sure. the, the stage crew area was basically a, a sex to den a private yeah. area what else why would wouldn't you, you do with it yeah but the i mean that never really held true for me because it was literally right next door what was next door to the stage crew pit was the drama teacher's office his, his <laughs> office was behind the stage as so well are, nothing really so, was happening there i mean it's possible that if all the doors were closed the brick walls probably wouldn't transmit sound but i don't <laughs> feel like it's as credible as i believed it was when i was 16 or so my school had um the north wall mm-hmm. which, well every school has a north wall yep but unless it's i guess a triangular shaped building yes it doesn't have a north wall but anyway well uh, even there it could it, it just could. the odds are lower <laughs> <laughs> but uh the, the quote the north wall uh at my school was uh was like a place where the sort of like slightly 80s throwback like rocker kids hung out and they were like the bad kids who, huh. like, smoked and i mean everybody at my school smoked actually like all the drama kids smoked and yep. everybody, like whatever that was not a thing but like the North Wall was sort of like the 
Interesting. The badass place to go out yeah. for a smoke or whatever. Yep. Um, but that's the only thing that I remember being kind of like a cliche high school, like, oh, that corner of the school where those people hang out or whatever. The rest yeah. of it was pretty neutral. Yeah, no, we had a foyer, like an area where everyone congregated at lunch, which was kind of like, it was actually probably more popular than the cafeteria as a place to eat lunch. And it definitely had sectors, like there was a table that was called the jock table, because it's where the jocks <laughs> went to see it sit. And, you know, there was under the stairs where, you know, the losers would go and stuff like that. But it's just, you know, yeah. that not, not sure. quite as formalized. We had an area of the calf where, like, the nerds played euchre, yeah. that yeah. kind of thing. But, like, yeah, for the most part, it was, like, there wasn't, like, a right. make-out zone. No, no, <laughs> nor would they. like a like a weird thing. Yeah. But so now let's get back to this weird quantum leap moment, which is that, yeah. that Jordan and Angela are... Actually I mean, getting together. Getting together. Like, they're, make, they're making out. But even I, that, it's like... It's pretty weird. I mean... It's pretty weird. One of the things that made the show seem so real in the early episodes was, in fact, her unattainable... Crush. Fantasy crush on yeah. this boy that she would never really get together with because that's, like, we all had those. Yeah. That's, like, a normal teenage thing. It's quite unusual to then end up actually with that person yeah and i also think i mean we'll talk about this a little bit more next time as well as we get into uh pressure but i also think what based on what we know about jordan and what he seems to require from a relationship or what he thinks a relationship is um i i still think it's kind of weird that he would uh think to get that from angela like i don't i don't I mean, I don't think he's looking for a girlfriend. I don't think he's really looking for companionship. He's not, you know, trying out people he might marry someday. Like he's <laughs> very, obviously you have a point there. You know, he's very sexualized in what he's trying to get out of out of uh, a potential uh, girl plaything. And I just don't see why he'd see it in Angela. You know, like she's not like Rayanne. I'm not saying Rayanne's bad, but you know, like she's she's very clearly not mature in that way. For sure. You yeah. Know? So it's very interesting that this, he's just yeah. like, yeah, sure, okay. Angela this Chase. episode like brings some strange. I feel like this episode brings up some weird things about what Jordan might actually be like. Yeah, because Jordan is such an enigma of dumbness. Yes, yeah, <laughs> and there are moments both here and next week where that enigma of dumbness does drop or seem to drop, and I do think we sort of see a more well-rounded Jordan. But again, it always read kind of weird for me because I really believe Jordan's dumbness. Like, I think they've done an excellent job up till now in 11 episodes of really telling me, yeah, this guy doesn't have anything happening behind those eyes. Like, yeah. it's, it's just an alpha wave in there. <laughs> but, you know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm hey, wrong. One you just the, don't see him as deeply as Angela does. No, clearly not. And I mean, how could I, right? Um one of the other things that is very significant about this episode is that it introduces Mr. Katimsky. Yes. Who, I, is there anyone who doesn't love Mr. Katimsky? I mean, besides you, Ricky for he, the first half hour of this episode, but, but, but yeah. like. But really, how could you not love him? He is so wonderful. Wonderful. Just so cute and so weird. <laughs> yeah. And yet there's something about him that's very uh, real to me. You know, like as totally. a teacher, he, the way he's kind of, in, I mean, I'm kind of almost in, unintentionally doing an impression of him right now. The way he can't kind of finish his sentence, he kind of gets lost in his thoughts. The, the, the passion he seems to have for the actual teaching of it of stuff yeah. is is cool. And of course, the like, very significantly is that he immediately sees Ricky for who he is. Like he sees Ricky. Yeah. You know, and and he can't get his name right and all of that stuff. But he's like he understands instantly, not just who Ricky is, but what Ricky's potential is. And that's very important. Like, we'll obviously we'll get into the the LGBTQ side of this thing a few episodes down the line, where Mr. Kaczynski is very instrumental there as well. But even just here, I'm like, did you have one of those teachers who was like, who just kind of took you by the hand at some point and said, "You're capable of something that you're not doing right now." Totally. Yeah, I had a couple of those teachers in high school. I actually had a few of those teachers in high school and was really grateful for them in retrospect. Yeah, I don't know that I was a hundred percent able to like see it yeah while it was happening but i had like i had an english teacher who um allowed me to skip grade 12 english entirely he was my grade 11 english teacher but he also happened to be the head of the english department mm -hmm. um and he gave me permission to skip grade 12 english so that i could take oac english in my grade 12 year so that i would have 
the space in my schedule in my OAC year to take both writer's craft and I think like a lit class mm. because he was like, you love reading and you you were a good writer and you should do these things. And right. like, it's okay for you to skip this. Like, yes, we will read some Shakespeare and whatever, but we will also be focusing a lot on writing business letters and it doesn't matter to you. And that's fine. <laughs> and that was like an amazing gift. Like I right. really, I loved those extra classes that I got to take and it was like an awesome experience, but it was definitely because he saw potential in me that I was for sure not fulfilling at the time. Huh. <laughs> like that I was, that was like <laughs> glimpsed by him, but like I was just kind of floating through right. grade 11 and not really trying very hard. And, and, and that was like his attempt to inspire me to try harder. And it kind of worked like mm -hmm. it worked well enough that I ha definitely did better in those um, subsequent years. Hmm, cool. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we've already talked on the show about mine, which was Mr. Waldron when I was in high school. He was my English teacher. I also had, when I was in middle school, my music teacher, whose name was Mr. Pearson. I don't even, I guess it was music and drama in, mm. in, in middle school. I was kind of just like wasting my life in the French horn section in middle school. Like I, I really wasn't passionate about music. I was kind of just there because you had to be and, and, and stuff. But he was the guy who was like, you should be doing drama. Like you're, you, you're, you shouldn't be here. You should be there. You should be like writing plays and directing plays and stuff like that, which, you know, really obviously had a monumental impact on the next like 30 years of my life. Like he basically re redirected the course of the river to yeah. the left instead of the right. And it's like, man, I, I mean, I kind of was aware of how significant that was at the time or at least close enough to the time, but same thing. It wasn't like, I mean, now I can look back and be like, shit, that guy's really responsible for a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing what a good teacher can do. Yeah. Um, I and mean, yet I, we don't value teachers enough. Yeah. yeah. It's it's sad. It is sad. When I was in grade nine, I had a really fantastic French teacher. Mm -hmm. I loved French class. I loved that teacher. I loved my French classes. I felt motivated to learn French. Yeah. And he, I think either he or his wife had health problems of some sort that led him to like take the following year off. And then he just never came back to the school. Mm -hmm. Um, and every year I took French all the way through to OAC and grade nine was the only year that I enjoyed and I did, I aced it and I was doing really well and I was like actually learning a language. Mm -hmm. And then for the rest of high school, it was just a boring slog and I never learned French. Wow. I don't speak French now, but if I had had teachers like Mr. Yeah. DeVito, uh, or DeVita, sorry, mm -hmm. uh, I probably would speak French now. Wow. Sad. Yeah, that is sad. Um, okay, so Angela is okay. First of all, quotable, quotable lines. One of my all-time favorites so many from Ryan. Uh, where did you get Chinese food? Two words: Tino. <laughs> 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 like they just keep you oh, know, evolving the Tino myth, and I'm just like, it just gets better and better all the time. But meanwhile, Patty and Graham are alarmed because Angela is so happy. happy. She is come, when she comes home. She hugs everyone. She's basically floating around the house with a big. Uh, grin on her face all the time and all just because she's secretly meeting Jordan Catalano to uh, to make out. But, and here's the thing, here's where the drama comes. Jordan doesn't want her to tell anyone that he's meeting her. So, further to what I was saying a little earlier, I guess that kind of fits into the thing where it's like, what does Jordan want? Like, what? There, clearly Jordan is aware on some level that Angela is not the type of girl that he would respectably go after in the eyes of his guy friends. Exactly. Which is weird. Yeah. Because what is, what, I mean, I know, okay, I know about the pressures of toxic masculinity, all of these things that like, I realized <laughs> that his, his reputation with his dude bro friends is important, including Jared Leto's actual brother playing one of his buddies in Whoa. this episode. That's correct. Yeah. Um, he's terrible. Worse than Leto. Um, but you know, I get that, but it's just sort of like, again, I don't know what it is about Angela that's making him even attempt that because... Like, why is he breaking the rules for her? Yeah. Why is he breaking his... his why is he risking his omnipresent street cred to uh, to make out with Angela Chase? I don't know. It doesn't make... I, it's it doesn't... such an enigma to me, but they're so... <laughs> It's, it's still like, especially at the beginning of the episode, it's just such a rush of sort of teen hormones anyway. Yeah. That it's kind of fun to watch anyway. I love the thing where she was like, we didn't talk a lot. So everything we said seemed really meaningful. 
and then the stupidest shit comes out like about how he has a leaf in his hair and stuff like that and I'm yeah like, yeah you know i get that my one of my favorite angela lines of all time the whole world became divided into kissing and not kissing yeah it's like i've been yeah yep, i know I that it. i i honestly i think my life is still divided into kissing and not kissing <laughs> like, really if i were to break all of the time periods down into two two piles that would be those would be the piles <laughs> And in the meantime, and this is, I think, where the episode maybe gets unintentionally topical, uh, Angela's flunking math because yeah. of this. And totally. because of her willingness to sort of just sit in the back and not be part, like basically not call attention to herself and let guys call attention to themselves. Yeah, and it's some of the most interesting sort of telling, like, l lines where she's like, it's so easy to just sit in the back and let boys shout out the answers because they will, even if they're wrong, because yeah. boys aren't afraid to be wrong. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then she looks and then she sees that little exchange between the other girl and her boyfriend where yeah. the other girl is clearly doing really well in math, yep. but pretends to be doing badly so that yeah. she won't seem like she's smarter than her like idiot boyfriend who's like barely getting a C or whatever. That's right. It's her like, yeah, that's how it goes. That's really depressing. Yeah. And that character whose name is Abyssinia, which is an amazing name. It is. Um, I can't actually recall if she comes back. I think maybe she's in I the My like Town she episode. Might be in one more episode. Yeah. yeah. I liked her great. a lot. She like, should I'm, have been back yeah, more. She was yeah, terrific. Definitely. Yeah. There were so many, I mean, it's unfortunate that this is the reality, but there were so many shows, teen shows in the 90s where, you know, they get half a season in. And some film, some TV critic would point out, hey, it's kind of, have you noticed that you've only got white people in your cast? <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. then they, you know, then like random one-off black a... people would start showing up once in a while. But, you yeah. know, it, it, she's great. So, yeah, she's a terrific character. Yeah, she's very, a lot of fun. Um, and so now here's the thing. Hallie Lowenthal is going to show up now. Uh, Graham's going to his cooking class and yeah. there's going to be a whole thing about the cooking class and I had kind of a moment of clarity about Hallie Lowenthal. You did. I did. Tell me more. Which is that for me, I always view this episode and her arrival very darkly because I'm like, oh, this is the beginning of Graham, you know, being on his way to cheating on his wife. Right. You know, that's horrible. Like, it's not her fault. Like, why do I Blake? Why do I have this like cloud of darkness over Hallie Lowenthal for fucking what Graham does in, in several episodes <laughs> down the way? It's not like it's got nothing to do with it. It's just astonishing that I, I realized this week that I've basically been slut shaming Hallie Lowenthal in my mind <laughs> for being a homewrecker. Like for 20 fucking years. Like, this is what I thought. This is what I think of her as a character, you know? That's like that she brought evil into, into the Chase the, household. Yeah. It's like, no, she didn't. Like this is an established Graham problem that we've known about from episode. Remember how when we were talking about the first few episodes, like I had just convinced myself that Graham didn't actually cheat on Patty. Yeah. And it's like, why was I so convinced that the dad was actually kind of this put upon good guy and not a serial adulterer, which is what he clearly is. Yeah. Oh, That's interesting. It's uh. really sexist and it pisses me off. <laughs> So there you have my confession. I finally fucking, you poor know. Poor Hallie. Yeah. I've been poor. I mean, and, and, and Hallie is awful. Like, she's awful. I would not want to spend five minutes in the company of that woman and, and her gigantic man bag that she carries around with all of her stuff in it. And and, and I, I mean, she she's terrible. But that's, you know, nothing that happens with, with her and Graham is, is only her fault. True. You true. know, like, that's yeah. just not the thing. So, anyway, Graham's trying to learn from Stefan Dieter, this guy from uh, the TV, who never shows up for the first class. And, uh, and, and then is a drunk. And, and then is a drunk. It's a whole terrible thing. But here's something, bad here's something interesting. So when Graham gets home, he won't talk to Patty about what went wrong. He won't even tell her right away that, he didn't, that the guy didn't show up. Patty, of course, very protective of this whole idea because she did force Graham to, well, she enrolled him. Yeah. Um, so, you know, she's being Patty about all this. But here's what's interesting. I don't know if you remember in, uh, I think it was episode four, first time Ray Ann's over at the house, she's looking through the uh, the fridge and she's like, who's, who's is all the, the fancy mustards? You know what that's about? That's about sex. And what's the fucking first thing that Graham does when he gets home and doesn't want to talk to his wife about what happened to the class where he's met Hallie Lowenthal? He goes into the fridge and says, where's the mustard? Now, for Interesting. me, for me. That proves the Ray Ann theory correct, that he's basically sublimating his sexual desire into various types of fancy mustards, and that when he's sexually frustrated or can't deal with his wife or has met a hot redhead somewhere, 
he goes and he finds goes for the, mustard. the craziest mustard he can and puts it on a sandwich and, and maybe feels better. Fascinating. Yeah, I just like the, the I mean, it may not have even been intentional, but I made this huge theory in my head about Rayanne being all How wise. does Rayanne know? I don't know. But <laughs> Rayanne does know everything about sex. Like, she's a very, uh, very clever Worldly person. Worldly young teenager? Yep. Yeah, she is. Absolutely. Um, so, meanwhile, back at the school, obviously Sharon's concerned about Angela and she's talking to Rayanne because that's just what they do now. Sharon and Rayanne are best yeah. friends and they, they, talk, they talk about, about Angela. They talk about their girl <laughs> and then Angela walks in on them and, and they ask each other if they're friends and they both shout no because, of course, they're not <laughs> of friends. Course. Yeah. But they're worried about this. And and so they should be because uh, they're right. The situation sucks, and even other teenage girls can recognize that it's bad. Yeah. Um, and Angela defensively claims that, or is it there, or is it later that she defensively claims that he's invited her out or whatever, or like to meet him at the concert, or is it there that she's? Um, yeah, no, that is there. So yeah. she's overheard that they're going to go see Buffalo Tom. Yeah. Which, by the Which way... Which she mentions to Jordan and he's like, yeah, what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So she has not been invited. So definitely I, not invited her, but she has to not look like such a doormat in front of her friends yeah. that she's like, no, he yeah. really wants to meet me. Why He wants me to go to Buffalo Tom. And yeah. by the way, I took the took a moment to Google Buffalo Tom uh, in preparation for this episode. They do. They are still a band. They still? Are, in are, this present of course, day of 2016? Basically dad rockers. Well, I mean, the photo on their Wikipedia page, those men are in their 40s. So <laughs> it's like, well, that's tremendous. That's good, great. Good for them. Um, but there's this weird, like, I mean, they're so cute. Ran and Sharon in this episode that I think that, you know, like if I was the writer's room, I just would have put them together every chance I got for the rest of time. Like where, where Angela... They're actually a great pair, yeah. Angela asks Rayanne if she's comparing uh, her making it with Jordan to Rayanne getting her stomach pumped a couple episodes ago. <laughs> and then Sharon's just like, the connection is self-respect. And they just high-five each other. And it's just like these... Look at how cute they are. Um, oh, and by the way, we just, we've just we learned that Sharon has uh, has uh, broken up with Kyle. Broken up with Kyle, yeah. It's great. I mean, I guess as an outcome... Good of, for her. He was also a dummy. Yeah, he was. And so, I think we saw... I'm glad that she recognized that and, yeah. and moved on. Well, again, Sharon is the best character on the show is the most totally. most reasonable well-rounded mature uh, mature and maturing character on the show uh, so true i think the show should be about her pers personally at this point but uh, whatever meanwhile miss learner the obi-wan kenobi english teacher who wasn't an english teacher apparently is actually a math teacher has been scoping out mr katimsky who has no he's about as aware when a woman is flirting with him as i am which is <laughs> not at all <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah my last partner like a couple months in she was just like seriously what the fuck was wrong with you like you were you would not pick up a single cue really yeah like how long did it take you uh it always takes me a while Aww. yeah i'm i just i i don't know if it's like a self name of the episode maybe the connection self-esteem thing self -esteem. yeah like i just i'm sort of like i just don't want to presume you know, like it just seems presumptuous of me <laughs> That's to be funny. like, no, I, well, I would know. This is clearly because of something else. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so uncomfortable in my own skin. <laughs> um, weird moment here. So Angela asked Brian for a crash geometry session to help her get through geometry. The only reason I point that out is I really think this episode would have been stronger if Brian still was really angry at her for last week. Right. right, like li life of Brian ends with him kind of at a new plane of of Angela ness. Yeah, and it, I think it would have been cool if that had kind of just gone on, you know, like that had just sort of lasted an episode or two, and, and he here is, they're back to normal. He's slightly more angry than usual at her because he does, like, he does go on a rant later on about how much pressure he's under and how much he has to study for his own things. And he's expected to have A's all the time. And does she even have any idea what that's like? Yeah. And he's like, I don't have time for this. I've got to go. And like, it's as close as he's going to come to actually confronting her about yeah. her yeah. <laughs> shitty behavior yeah. toward him. But he's still like going to take her geometry book and like, he's still going to try to help her. He's just going to be more grumpy about it. Yeah. But so it's like a, t a tiny change in Brian, but not yeah. really, not enough. Yeah, and <laughs> I love change. this idea that around midterms, which I mean, I, I we didn't have midterms at my school. We had exams at the end of each term, 
Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we were slightly here. different, but like this idea that people like Sharon and Brian, like that this basically consumes their lives for those two weeks and just their anxiety level is through the roof and so on and so forth. Didn't, I mean, I guess I could see it with Brian where he really doesn't have anything else. Like his, his self-worth is entirely based around his grades. So as much as he's complaining in this episode about the pressure that he's under, yeah. it's entirely self-inflicted pressure. Like he, he totally. probably could ace his midterms without opening a book. He's Brian fucking Krakow. Yeah, you know? true. <laughs> so I find all that stress and pressure uh, very odd. Uh, meanwhile, we're back in the cooking class. This time, Stefan Dieter has shown up, but he is an, a raging alcoholic. And, and the food they're making is not good. Is not good. And it's kind of neat. There's actually a button on the scene that kind of ties the whole self-esteem theme into this as well, where Hallie says, don't we deserve better than this? You know, like, yeah. we're adults. We're here to pay for this person's expertise. Like, like don't we deserve Don't we deserve better? Like, and, and it's interesting that Graham is like, oh, it's not that bad. It's okay. I, like, Graham is a very equivocating guy. Yeah. You know, I don't think he stands up for his own self-esteem very often or what he should Mm -hmm. get very often at all so i think that was you know as much as hallie does drive me crazy and as much as until this week i hated her on site um she doesn't lack for insight it's true she has a different viewpoint on all this than patty and graham have it's really interesting that in the in this episode where where he first meets her when he's talking to patty about what happened he refers to her as like that obnoxious woman Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah which is like Watching it this time, it made me wonder whether he actually thinks that she's that obnoxious or whether he just needs to talk about her in those terms to his wife. Yeah. And I, I don't think he would know, honestly. Yeah. Like, I think he probably has an instinctual understanding that he can't exactly say, oh, you know, this, there's this fascinating woman that I've met. And it, But I think he probably, the, the degree to which Hallie bothers him, he's aware that there's uh, a sexual charge to that. Yeah. You know, the being annoyed with her is part of being attracted to her as well. Totally. Because yeah, if he didn't care about her at all, he wouldn't give a shit. Exactly. Yeah. Which is going to be trouble. But not in this episode. So we can leave <laughs> that. So here's the thing. They, they go to see Buffalo Tom. And I think Sharon actually says out loud, they're even cuter than they are on their CD. Or is it like, so obviously they paid Buffalo Tom to show up and play and whatever. But anyway, the gang, gang goes to Buffalo Tom. Angela, here's the thing, Angela. <laughs> Here's the thing. Why do the people on this show, and I think Angela's the worst offender, but we certainly saw it last week with Brian as well. Why do the people on this show hang on to their lies well past the stale date of when it is going to be blatantly proven that they're wrong? You know, she's brought Rayanne and Sharon to this bar that she knows she has not been invited to. Yeah. And she's basically what? She's hoping like uh, as a Hail Mary pass on not having to tell her friends the truth, Jordan might be nice to her in public, which is exactly what he spent the whole episode not doing. Yeah. <laughs> which he like has so far spent their whole lives not doing. Yeah. <laughs> since they met. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things that I found funny about this scene is the fact that his buddy is like, hey, there's Rayanne Graff with that weird girl. As yeah. like... It just struck me as kind of hard to believe yeah. that like this bunch of like slacker idiots would think that Angela was weird. Yeah. Like over Rayanne or over anyone that they actually hang out with or like there's nothing actually weird about her. She right. she is like plain. a plain yeah. ordinary girl. Yep. Why on earth would she be like the weird the girl? The weird girl. Yeah. She's not the weird girl at all. Like yeah. they're weird Except compared to her. Like everyone is weirder than her. Ran and Ricky are certainly the weird ones yes. in their friend group. Like the, she is like the ordinary one. So yeah, I found that kind of funny. Like what is it that, like is that, like I would have thought that his friends saw her as like, a plain and uninteresting person who is not like worthy of his attention. Cause he's like a hot dude or whatever. Right. Um, as opposed to thinking of her as like the some, weirdo, some weirdo that yeah. he, like is too weird to hang out with. So yeah, that was, I, that line stuck out to me that on this, uh, reviewing. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, the only thing I can think that they would think is weird about her is just the degree to which she is immature. Like the thing that Rayanne and Ricky have over her is that I think they could more comfortably say, hang out at an older kid's party. 
Yeah. You know, whereas Angela, again, just too lost in her head, not exposed enough to that world, would do something ridiculous, like fall in the mud, which she literally did in the first episode. You know, like, maybe that's where the weird girl thing comes from. But again, I also think it's just odd that these people would even have ever noticed her or formed an opinion of her at all, because she does just sort of blend into the background. But then once in a while, she does crazy shit like printing out the Liberty Lit on her own dime and handing it out in hallways. So maybe that's what they think is so weird about her. So so Rayanne, bless her, um, confronts Jordan and says that Angela deserves uh, his attention and that she won't wait around for him forever. The latter is clearly untrue, but uh, the former is a very sweet thing to say that basically, again, I don't think this episode really kind of hit me hard enough when when it originally aired because I was still too weirded about the idea that these two had gotten together. But there is a lot to be said for, you know, male female relations and sort of the power dynamics at play in what Jordan is doing, you know, like oh, for sure. That just he's, he's, it's, it's, it's nearly abusive, even if it's abuse that Angela has sort of thoroughly signed up for yeah. because she just doesn't know any better. Yeah. And it, yeah, totally. It's such a strange, it's not actually strange. It's such a common power dynamic between teenage boys and girls like I, I can't remember what the episode was but there was definitely an episode previously where they talk about how like boys have the luxury of not caring right and it's totally wrapped up in that like where she is obsessed with him and she's and she's not capable or strong enough to like she's not capable of walking away but he gets to sort of not care even though we sort we see glimpses of him actually caring in this episode he's still the one who is ultimately going to be like well fine leave then Mm -hmm. that will never be her right she will always be the one who uh humiliates herself in order to stay in this situation that's actually like not good yeah yeah (laughs) but but that she thinks she wants (laughs) yeah and again that whole thing we think we've talked about in the past about sort of just not really having a sense of what a relationship even is Mm -hmm. you know like she She's, uh, to quote the Joker, she's a dog chasing cars. She wouldn't know what to do with one if she got it, you know, (laughs) which is very true. Like she has a fantasy of, I want this guy to be my boyfriend. But what being a boyfriend is, is such a blank slate to her that maybe for her, this fits the bill. Yeah, she has no idea. And and for some sad reason, she uh, is okay with expecting very little. Yeah. (laughs) Like she's okay with the idea that maybe having a boyfriend is like this kind of shitty thing where you get something you want and like but not enough to feel good about anything right really (laughs) and i i do think that that idea that psychology is very broad and deep like that idea where especially young people and probably especially young women when they don't have any idea of how it should be probably go along with how it's being presented to them yeah for a lot longer than they and you know later into life than they should Definitely. You know, it's Definitely. like, oh, well, this is how it is. Okay, this wasn't what I expected, but I don't know any better. Yeah, so. it's strange the extent to which people, and yeah, you're right. I think young women especially are willing to just put up with things that are not great mm-hmm. because that's all they've experienced so far. Yeah. And like, and for whatever reason, they don't have either the confidence or the optimism or or whatever Mm -hmm. (laughs) to imagine that it could be better than that and to just be like no this isn't good enough i'm not going to do it right (laughs) because i will assume and hope that something better exists yeah yeah instead they're just like well no here we are (laughs) (laughs) that's a bummer (laughs) yeah it is so here we have the clusterfuck of of angela's lies so she's been humiliated by jordan it's sunday night she can't even study for the geometry midterm because brian has the book she's too humiliated to go talk to brian about that this is when brian shows up and has the flip out conversation about how angela has the option of insanity well he does not he does not um but meanwhile it turns out graham has now been asked to teach the cooking class in in uh the absence of stefan dieter who's been sent to rehab um so you know just moving the plot along there everything is yeah yeah everything's coming to a head but the thing that i so what do you think about patty's like attitude about i understand that at the beginning of the episode she feels very kind of nervous and a little defensive about how the cooking class is going to go because she's the one who forced him into it and even later on in the episode she feels bad and she's like you can quit if you want to i'm sorry i made you do this i won't Mm -hmm. suggest this kind of thing again uh but she's, but like, 
even beyond that natural kind of defensiveness about the fact that she pushed him into it she is also kind of negative about it like when when he says you know this guy's really hard to understand she's sort of like well is it just you yeah do other people have a hard time and when he says that he's been asked to teach the class she's like really yeah (laughs) and like not skeptical so much as just not excited yeah um so what's that about well i think genuinely patty there's a hard line there where patty doesn't think graham's actually very good at cooking or like not certainly not professionally good at it yeah not like good enough to be the teacher you know so she thinks of it as like a hobby of his and not even a hobby i would argue where she necessarily has any gauge of sort of is he compared to all amateurs in the city of pittsburgh is he Top third, middle third, bottom third. She has no idea. Yeah. So she, I think, starts off the episode afraid that she's pushed him into a situation where he will be vastly underprepared. And, yeah. And not. And where he will be humiliated. He will by be his humiliated. Yeah. Lack of skill yeah. compared to everyone else. Yeah. And I think this is a, you know, this is a really interesting thing. Is that for a lot of the characters in the show, there's this varying level of awareness of how good of a cook. Graham is. And even Graham doesn't think he's that great of a cook. He, he doesn't think it's a talent. He's said in it's the last episode. It's just something he can do. It's just something I can do. And Angela thinks he's a good, great cook. Like, she loves the way he cooks. Rayanne thinks he's, like, an orgasmic cook. Like, yeah. next level shit. Patty sort of appreciates the fact that he kind of knows about food and cooks well, but sort of probably doesn't think about it on any real way. And I do wonder if this kind of gets back to their whole alpha dog, beta dog thing in their relationship, where I don't know that Patty thinks of Graham being particularly good at anything. Yeah, maybe not. You know? Like, I think she's used to him being subservient and 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 that. Yeah. You know? And yeah. yet she obviously wants him to be... Like, she does obviously actually love him and want him to be happy and find his thing. For sure. I just don't think she can find that. It's a little bit like Katinsky seeing the drama thing in Ricky. He could find that in him in an instant. Patty's been married to this guy for 20 years. She And, and she can barely see it. <laughs> and she can help create structures that might let him find it. Like she fired him. She signed him up for the class. Yeah. But she would not see the cooking thing in a million years of, of trying. She would never occur to him, her, for example, we're jumping ahead an episode, but it'll never occur to her to suggest that he open a restaurant. Right. Right. Like that would just be, what the fuck are you talking about? That's yeah, crazy. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. It's an, it was interesting. I would. I totally agree with you. I think that it is partly that she was worried that he was actually not very good at this thing and that he was going to be embarrassed, embarrassed uh, by how amateur ish he, you know, is compared to everyone else in, in the class or whatever. Um, But it's, I still found it really interesting and kind of curious that when she's proven wrong, she isn't like relieved and happy that like, oh, he actually does have the skill that is actually, like he is yeah. actually good at this thing. Instead, she's sort of skeptical and like she's, a bit of a downer about it. <laughs> she just, she suggests that she's just surprised. But the button on the scene, which is kind of heartbreaking, is Graham basically saying, it would be nice if this wasn't a surprise to you. This was a surprise to me. Yeah. You know, it would have been nice if you had this level of confidence in me. Yeah, totally. Totally. The other thing about that whole plot line that's interesting that kind of doesn't get touched is that a lot of Patty's uncertainty about all this gets shorn up by her father oh yeah comes in and gives this weird idea of you know don't spend the money on class hire a headhunter and the only reason i bring that up as being weird is i mean i know that in real life which i i give my so-called life credit for being very realistic a lot of the time in real life problems are not solved in single weeks but when we saw the uh father figures episode um way back where we met Chuck the first time. Yeah. You know, we it seemed as though Patty had kind of realized that she couldn't she shouldn't let her father's sort of blowhard tendencies push her around anymore and that she was an adult woman capable of making up her own minds and opinions. And yet here we see him do the exact same thing. And he doesn't even kind of she doesn't even kind of realize later that that's what happened. You know, it's like he plants the he incepts her. Yeah. <laughs> and she has no idea that that she's been incepted. Yeah, it's definitely that scene was definitely a glimpse into obviously a father-daughter relationship in which he is able to not just push her around, but also undermine her in ways that she's not totally conscious of. Yeah. Like he can speak to to, her anxieties. Yeah. And plant seeds of doubt about things that she might have felt okay about before 
you know, and she might have never thought of the headhunter thing, but when he plants the seed, she actually ends up bringing it up with Graham yeah. later, and he's like, what? Yep. <laughs> and he's right. What? Yep. <laughs> this has nothing to do with anything, and, yeah. and like, why bring it up now? Uh, but definitely, like, I feel like maybe part of the reason that she doesn't really see Graham as being particularly good at anything is perhaps an entire lifetime of being just slightly under like her domineering father's thumb who clearly doesn't think that Graham is pulling his weight and like maybe never has. Mm -hmm. And you know, and he's, and she's been working for her father for her whole career, presumably. So this is like an established pattern that she's maybe not fully aware of. She may have been aware. I mean, as we saw in the father figures episode, she's aware to an extent of how he impacts her but maybe not how he influences her opinions of the other things right. and people in her life. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, you know, happy to see Chuck Wood again because that guy amuses the shit out of Paul Dooley he's is hilarious. one of my all-time favorite actors. Like, I, there's never <laughs> yep. been a time I've not... He's even on Deep Space Nine, <laughs> you know? And I'm just like, he's always wonderful. I'm always happy to see him. So uh, even if Chuck's a bit of a dick, I'm always happy to see him. Okay, so now shit's really getting real. We're into the final act. Angela goes to meet Jordan... In the boiler room. He leaves a note for her again, even though this whole thing happens. Yeah. They start to make out, but then she kind of pushes him off. And this is what's really cool. She pushes the why are you like this, like how you are line back at him him. from the previous episode, which hell knows if that was something that they'd planned when they wrote Life of Brian or like if they saw this shit coming. But either way, I'm like, yeah, that is that line is. Angela and Jordan. And maybe I've kind of answered my own question from earlier in the episode. Like, maybe that is why Jordan is there. He doesn't know why. He just knows there's something. There's something. Right? Like, there is something. She is like an earworm to him. There's something about him, something about her that he can't get out of his head. Yeah. And he's trying to figure it out. Yeah. She obviously obsesses about him in a, in a totally different level. And he does figure it out in his own way in English class. Yeah, that's what's so amazing. So right? then... like so. So she's like, fuck it, this, you know, please, she tries to force him to admit that this all happened, which I think is also a really important moment contextually because of the way that, you know, men can try to erase women from the story. Yeah. You know, in a big way. So she's like, admit that this, like, which is. Admit that this was real. It's just the two of them down there. But like, admit to me that this is a real thing. Yeah. But anyway. Which is like a, actually a very brave thing to say. Yeah. Uh, even maybe in adult life, but especially when you're that young and that inexperienced, like forcing someone to admit that something is real when you clearly have doubts (laughs) about how real they think it is. Yeah. Like is a, that's an awesome way to stand up for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Good for Angela. It always takes Angela along because Angela is in such a perpetual cycle of deception and self-deception. Yeah. It always takes for a really long time to get any traction, but once every two or three episodes, we do have one of these moments where she really does just sort of come right out and be like, no, here's how it's going to be. Yeah. And I like, I love that. Like whenever that happens. <laughs> Those are great. Yeah. So yeah, like you said, in Katimsky's in class reading sonnets and, 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 and out of nowhere, well, I don't even know why he's in the class, frankly, based on what we know about Jordan, he doesn't go to English class, but out of nowhere and with an assist from Brian, Jordan has... A moment of clarity. An an epiphany, even. (laughs) An aha moment. Totally. About Angela uh, being a real person and that being much more interesting than various fantasy fantasy creatures that he's probably had very thin relationships with in the past. Totally. So. Yeah, that was a big um, moment for me at the, like, when I originally watched the show. Not because it necessarily connected to my own life at the time in any particular way. Yeah. Um, but I just loved that scene. And I think that I memorized that sonnet because I oh, lovely. was so like yeah. into it. <laughs> that was like, to this day, is probably the only Shakespeare sonnet that I actually probably could recite from memory at least like 75 percent nice so thanks my so-called life yeah that's perfect when i was in high school me and my my good friend amanda who i've I've spoken about here as well we used that word real a lot to talk about how you know there were just people that we were starting to meet and interact with that were sort of they were engaging with us on a level that we kind of hadn't had before either because we were too young and that's just not what happened or mm-hmm. you know like it was, 
it was just you there were people that you could go deeper with they were quote unquote real other people just were not real in that way yeah so the fact that this is a part of that scene really you know impacted me quite i we were already having those conversations at this point but it was like oh yeah that's a thing that pe that's normal people are aware of is this idea of the real tangible person who's open with you and in front of you and actually happening has an enormous value that all of your daydreams don't don't uh, connect to yeah totally which is lovely it is lovely oh so, and for any listeners who didn't rewatch the episode or don't remember the sonnet is the one that starts with uh, my mistress eyes are nothing like the sun. Yes. Um, and it's a great, like it's a, that's a lovely sonnet, but it's also, that's a really great point for the yes. show to make. And yeah. it's a great point for Jordan to realize because mm -hmm. it seems like it would be almost beyond him because he's such a dummy. But yeah. the fact that he actually, that it clicks, that something clicks in his yeah. head is, is remarkable and leads to like the best, like for teenage me, the most like intense finale mm -hmm. of an episode we'll get there because i want to talk to you about this but for sure first i need to point out that angela we now from from the mr katemski scene we cut to angela in the bathroom mm -hmm. angela literally prays to god <laughs> to get her through the midterm and then she you know they become friends with abyssinia and they crash study in the bathroom and all that stuff but and this is important god answers by postponing the midterm? By postponing the midterm. There's a copier malfunction. <laughs> the, the midterm gets postponed. So A, God is real. So God and exists. B, he's on Angela's That's side. right. God exists in the my so-called life cosmology, and he is <laughs> Team Chase. I think that's very, <laughs> very important. Um, and, and, and then the second thing, like the, the, the final act of this episode is a seriously loaded shit. So oh, yeah. the other thing that happens right before the ending is that Ricky freaks out at Mr. Katimsky and Mr. Katimsky basically calls him on it and, and drops the big one, which is that nobody should dot, 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 hate who they are, which is maybe the first inkling that Ricky understands that one, Mr. Katimsky might know that he's gay. Yep. B, Ricky might be at the point where he needs to start dealing with the fact that he's gay yep see mr katimsky might be gay you know like that for the i think we talked about it in the last episode for the first time ricky may might begin to understand that he actually does have a community yeah he, he has just peers, hasn't found them yet he just hasn't found them but yet. they exist and, and this might be the first example and even if it's not he's right you know, that Ricky spends all of this time questioning, doubting, and probably hating this thing. And I mean, he's being abused at home. He's got every reason to have very negative feelings about himself and his sexuality. For sure. But this is kind of the first inkling that's like, no, you're not actually supposed to live like that. That's not the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. You're supposed to do something else. Totally. Which begins, you know, one of the most beautiful arcs of the of the final uh, run of the, the show. Yeah. Yeah. But now, so let's get into this thing. So the last scene of this episode... The only, I don't mean to be crass, the only way I can describe this uh, as this was the scene where every female friend I know who ever watched my so-called life, whenever they watched this scene, <laughs> when they got up from the couch, there was a wet spot on the couch. Like this thing where Jordan goes and just grabs her hand and they walk, like I have, I have, I have lost count of the women over the course of the last 22 years who have told me how unbelievably erotic and romantic this moment is to them. Oh, yeah. It's the biggest deal of all the deals. And I'm a handhold kind of a guy. He I'm with Sharon. Like, for me, hand, holding hands is some erogenous shit. I'm with Sharon on that. But this thing... But I the fact that he's doing it in front of everyone yeah. in the hallway, he might as well have, like, pulled out an engagement ring. Yeah. Like, he is in fascinating that is like the sign that yeah. he that he like he is answering her and he's saying yes it's real hmm. that's beautiful i'm i mean when i watched it the first time i almost certainly had the exact same look on my face that brian has <laughs> where he's just like the fuck's going on now what <laughs> you know, like, he just looks so he looks so constipated like he just literally looks like he's like i really wish i could take a shit you know, um, then that was probably me because I was just like, oh, yeah. And again, I, I obviously I had great resistance to the Angela Jordan romance and thought it was very silly that these two would get together. And, and that whole idea just seemed very beyond me. But, yeah, I was not prepared. Like and it started the next day and went on for a decade. I was not prepared for the number of people, oh, all, yeah. all women who would cite this to me as like 
one of, if not their actual favorite moment in the whole series. Yeah. 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 Neat. Neat. Is there something like possessive about it? Like he's like claiming her. There's something interesting about the way it's shot, like where the the hand kind of comes in and like just grabs her by the almost by the sleeve, you know, and like it's I think it's just more that he's like admitting it in public, like yeah. that he's like that this is not their secret thing anymore, right. that he's not ashamed to be with her. Yeah. That he like sees her. And he's claiming as, her as as Yeah, his totally. Girlfriend. But like he's doing it in a way that is like that gives her back her dignity and self-respect in a way. Right. Like it shouldn't be his to give, but it is obviously mm-hmm. because their relationship is ridiculous. Um, but it, all of the doubts that she has throughout the episode about him wanting to keep it a secret and whatever, they are all resolved mm-hmm. by this one move. Yeah. This is the thing that proves that she was right all along, that he really does have emotions that, this is real, that he does care about her. Right. It doesn't matter how it plays out after that. Mm-hmm. This is like the symbolic gesture that is needed to, to make everything okay. Goodness gracious. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, good good on them, I guess. I guess. I guess. <laughs> um, okay, so this is the part of the show. If you've never listened to my SoCast Life before, what is wrong with you? Yeah, go back and listen Why to are you all starting of the previous here? episodes. But this is the part of the episode where we will read our diaries from either the day the episode aired, in my case, uh, November 17th, 1994. That was the day the episode aired, not just for me. <laughs> that was a weird <laughs> sentence when it came in out. In my life, yeah. the episode aired. That's right. Uh, or the nearest to because Cat uh, was not quite as diligent a diarizer as I was in terms of writing daily stuff. Um, Indeed, I was. Would not. you like to go first, or are you still finding your? Sure. Okay, no, go for I've it. I've got it. All right. Um, it's from the day after. Dear journal, yesterday night I went to what you might call a party. <laughs> <laughs> you might. <laughs> yep. It was at Sean Kennedy's house. Matthew was there, so was Alec, and that weird girl who wears aprons and things and hangs out with Raven, that witchy girl. Also a guy named James, who I think was hitting on me indirectly. Anyhow, conversations ranged from the Queen's English to Dostoevsky to theories on birds to everything. And then Matthew told a story about how he once spent 45 minutes listening to someone tell a joke and laughing his head off. The joke was... My mother pulled a dehydrated rat from behind the dishwasher, and boy, was it dehydrated. <laughs> wow. Yep. I mean, I think we need to we need to clarify for the first uh, first that I'm not the Matthew. No. In this different Matthew. story, I remember who everyone was that is referenced in this. Uh, I'm not 100% sure who I mean by the girl who wears aprons and things. Well, I wanted to point that out because having just talked about it in this episode, you just also referred to someone as that the, weird that girl. That weird girl, yeah. yeah. Um, so I don't, I'm not But 100%. someone who just wears aprons, that's a weird that girl. That is kind of weird. Yeah. I, I, I have a, an inkling of who she was. I don't remember her name, but I, I have a picture in my mind of who I, I, I think it was the slightly gothy girl whose, whose name I don't recall. But I remember everyone else... Um, Except for this person named James, who supposedly hit on me. Hmm. I have no idea who that is. Okay. Uh, so the other boys, you, I mean, as is a Cat G Diary uh, tradition, you mentioned a lot of men all in a row. Yeah. Uh, have Sean we met Kennedy, any of those before? Uh, Sean Kennedy, we haven't met before. He was a really, uh, really nice guy. I liked him a lot. He was um, kind of like a weird hippie who I think had gone through some... I don't know if he was actually any older than any of the rest of us, Um Probably not, but he had gone through some sort of weird legal process to, like, emancipate himself from his guardians, and so he lived in an apartment by himself near the school, which was unusual. I didn't have any other friends in high school who lived on their own. Right. Um, uh, Matthew was a guy that uh, I think was, like, a year or two older than me who I thought was really nice and really smart, and I'm still, like, Facebook friends with him, um... But he doesn't live in town. I haven't seen him in years and years. But I thought he was really cool and interesting. Right. Uh, and Alec was a friend of his who I thought was cute. But maybe, like, I don't know if I thought he was interesting. I don't know that I ever spoke to him enough to know whether he was, like, smart or dumb or, or what. He was just, like, kind of like a cute redhead. Right. Um, and, yeah, I think the witchy girl. I, I, yeah. I can't with confidence say that I remember the weird girls. Um, 
But I think they were all like maybe in the year ahead of me. I think they were mostly like I was maybe in grade 11. They were in grade 12, something like that. Sure. Um, and yeah. And I have no idea who this James guy is. <laughs> the rest of them, I remember. They were all people who I thought were like slightly older students who I thought were really interesting and cool. Maybe and the, I was happy to be hanging out with them. Right. Maybe the witchy girl was from uh, my gothy stage crew. Maybe, maybe there was some overlap there. <laughs> totally. There was definitely a witchy Could girl be. on my gothy stage crew. I remember her. So <laughs> who knows? Um, okay. Uh, when I dug up the diary entry for last week's episode, last two weeks ago's episode, and, and this one, I, I texted you and said they're both brilliant, but in completely different ways. So last time we had a couple that just were oddly on message really, yeah. for the episode that we did. This one has nothing to do with the episode that we did. But I am a fan of uh, back in the a couple of years ago, our sister podcast on the Modern Superior Network. Uh, see you next Wednesday. Occasionally, Dan Gorman would go back into his very earliest IMDb reviews of films. Written, Adorable, by the way. Written when he was very young. <laughs> and uh, it is with that in mind that I read you this. 11-17-94. It was fun. Man, it was fun. Star Trek Generations, four stars out of a possible four, was absolutely brilliant. Easily the best Trek feature film. Easily the best next-gen episode. And in all ways, as close to perfect as Star Trek gets. Exciting, evocative, thinkable, great theme of time and its flow, moving. There's really very little else I can say. I'm still compiling. Top marks to Brent Spiner. He stole the show. And for the first time, Data ranks as one of my favorite characters. More for top the first for the time? first time, yeah. More top marks to David Carson for pulling it all off and to William Shatner. Yes, William Shatner for the wonderful easiness to his entire performance. In fact, it was done so well that the fact that my girl fell out of the sky, I don't even know what that means, didn't bring me down. Oh, the Enterprise. Oh, <laughs> there you go. Your girl, the Enterprise. Yeah, that's right. Of course. Now that's a feat. Captain Kirk is dead. Long live Captain Kirk. Long live Captain Picard. Oh, there you go. That hits me right in the, yeah. in the heart. Now, I was a pretty, this is a pretty huge Star Trek fan myself. Yeah, this is uh, good timing because this uh, summer is the 50th anniversary of, of Star Trek. There's a new uh, Star Trek movie coming out. And oh my 50th. God. Can yeah, 50th imagine? anniversary. So this was right after the 25th anniversary, which crazy. was a big deal uh, back when I was a teenager. Uh, at, this is crazy what I've written here about generations. The generation, the start, to, next generation feature films, as everybody knows, they're terrible. Like all four of them are terrible. Um, generations is actually probably still my favorite one, but it's certainly not the best Star Trek feature film ever made. Certainly not the best Star Trek: The Next Generation episode ever made. Like it's 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 hilarious. It's actually actively hilarious that this is what I thought you when were I saw this. Genuinely moved. I was genuinely moved. I, I I remember that day, man. I had a great fucking time. That that movie. The reason I probably loved it as much as it is i did is that movie is absolute fan service from end to end like it's just a big victory lap for people who love the next generation yeah which i did me too so, i was obsessed with the next generation yeah man i loved it that yeah. was like my favorite show yeah and i loved that movie as well totally yeah, yeah no that movie because that movie was the most like just a sort of an episode of the show yeah, when they great. started trying to be all but feature filmmakers, but I can't believe like Data wasn't an all-time yeah, fave. I was I never loved Data so much. I was like, uh, yeah. Data was like my crush on that show. Oh, and everybody loved Data. Like Data was a, obviously a big deal to most people. To and be it's fair, not like Q was actually my crush on that well, show, but then Data was a close second. Q is the best, um, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I, and I didn't, I didn't have a, a character on that show that I disliked, but I was a Doctor yeah. Crusher, Captain Picard. Uh, Wharf kind of a guy. Sure, you know? sure. Those yeah. are all. Hits. The the year the Doctor Crusher wasn't on the show, very sad, difficult year. Tough year for, <laughs> for us all, yeah. And, and I like Doctor Pulaski too. I thought she was fine, but I was just like, you're just you're not you're not just not Doctor Crusher. Doctor Crusher. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so we'll come back in two weeks' time with the second half of the Angela and Jordan duology, which is called. Pressure. And the reason, so you guys don't care about this because you're getting the episodes on a two week cadence. The reason we're not going to record that episode right now is I have so much to say <laughs> about this. We're going to need to dedicate a whole yeah. day yeah. just, just to mean, that episode. Usually I'm capable of it's keeping up one, with I mean. the episode while I'm watching it, like in terms of taking my notes. This was one of those ones where I basically I was pausing the episode like every four minutes to write shit down. Yeah, this is, this is a big one. This is a big, big episode. We'll get kind of more into some of the stuff we talked about today. So thank you everyone for listening. You can leave comments at modernsuperior.com. We'll be back in two weeks' time. And uh, my name is Matt. And I'm Kat. And that's that. Hey, that works.
presentation of the Modern Superior Media Network.